Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Cinemas podcast. I'm Sam Howlett and this week I'm joined by Jake Cunningham. Oh yeah. And Jenna Hobbs. Hello. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Ira Sachs's uh, drama Little Men. Uh, it's a follow-up to his film uh, Love is Strange. Uh, both set in New York. Both revolve around uh, how gentrification and housing prices affect uh, our lives dramatically. Uh, we have an interview coming up later with writer-director Ira Sachs. But first, I've got a question for you two. So the film is about, um, as a theme of friendship running through it, uh, and one of our lead characters, Jake, uh, he befriends Tony, and you kind of get the idea that this is his first best friend. So I'm wondering, who would you like to have been your first best friend? Which character from a film? So the, the friend that you discover friendship for the first time with, and that you're not necessarily are still friends with now, but who you'll always, you'll always remember and think back that you, this was your first proper friend. Okay, well, I think I'm going to go for Matilda, mm-hmm. purely because I think she could teach me magic, and I think that would be really great. No? You guys don't want magic? Well, I mean, it's not really a basis for friendship, no. is it? <laughs> but she's also, okay, she's also really smart right. and funny. Okay. And can do magic. It sounds more like you want to match her on Tinder. <laughs> She's smart, she's funny, (laughs) she's everything you could want. (laughs) No, I think she'd be great. I think we'd have the best time. We'd play loads of pranks on Trunchable. Okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. And you're a big Bake Off fan, so you can get some cake involved. Mm -hmm. Oh, 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 so it's flooding back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go for, in terms of teaching you about friendship, I think there's one children's film trilogy that really handles that and it's got to be Toy Story so I'm going to go with Woody because he has such an arc about friendship as well when you think of the first film he's got to learn to be friends with Buzz to actually save the day Yeah, and his friendship with Andy over the three films once you get to the end of Toy Story 3 their friendship is so big and so important and it has such a massive effect on the audience so I'm going to go with Woody because I feel like he would be a great friend to have you want to write your name in a shoe 
I do. Would okay. you be Andy though, or would you be? Because he isn't really alive in the, if you're a human. So would you become like? But Mr. that Taylor? doesn't matter. Like no? Andy is still best friends <laughs> with Woody. Don't have to be alive, Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I particularly can't wait until like sort of maybe when I I would be fourteen, and Woody's just got to sit across the other side of the room and just watch me blankly. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Sam. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm going to go for Mouth from the Goonies uh, because he kind of reminds me of uh, Tony a bit from Little Men. <laughs> but then I was going to say Love is Strange. Uh, he reminds me of Tony because he's he, he's called Mouth for a reason. He's, he talks a lot. He's kind of a wisecracker. And I think that maybe if I was, when I was younger, I may have been a bit slightly shyer than I was now. Uh, I think, yeah, it would be good to have someone like Mouth teaching you the ways of the streets and just, yeah, bring out your uh, more adventurous side. And I would have been a Goonie as well if I was friends with Mouth, which would have been sweet. I like the feeling of you being more street. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I mean, I know it's, a hard, it's hard to imagine me being <laughs> any, even any more street than I am right now. Yeah, that's true. But it could be possible. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so we got that out of the way. Um, so let's talk, introduce uh, Little Men a bit now. Uh, so the film deals with two families. Um, you have the Jardines, so that's Brian Jardine, played by Greg Kinnear, his wife Kathy, and their son Jake. And then, so Brian's father dies, and they inherit his building. And li- working in the shop below his apartment is Leonard, uh, who is a essentially a single parent from Chile uh, and her son Tony and Tony and Jake become friends uh, however while their friendship blossoms the parents slowly become I don't use enemies because that's way too dramatic for this film but mm. in a way enemies enemies yeah, yeah. Uh, antagonist because just because of how um I don't think an- antagonist is the wrong word because that makes it sound like yeah. one of them's the baddie. Because okay. I don't think anyone's they are the baddie mm. in it. Nemeses. Yeah. Uh, because of uh, house, house, the rising housing prices and the tensions surrounding that. So, very quickly before we jump into the interview, just initial thoughts on the film. I think it's a really great film. I think out of the three of us, it's uh, I'm probably the most vocally impressed mm-hmm. by it. I think it's a really natural, really welcoming film. I think it's a really lovely place to spend 90 minutes. Um, And if you dissect it, there's some actually quite hard things to dissect in there about sort of the nature of uh, parents' actions, how they affect children, Mm -hmm. uh, how they will have a profound effect on the actions of your life, even if you might not be aware of it at the time, and how parents and children can be completely unaware of the other person and what their challenges and dramas they're going through at the time. As a real companion to Love is Strange. I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was great. Beautifully like shot as well. And um, yeah, the friendship between the two boys is a really interesting look. And it's, I like that it's not too dramatic between them ever. And yeah, mm. really enjoyed it. Yeah, excellent. I agree. No, really, really solid film. Uh, we'll go into more detail about it in a second. But first, uh, we have an interview now uh, conducted by uh, Jake Cunningham over here. Uh, he met up with Iris Sachs last week in London. Now, uh, just uh, a bit of a disclaimer, this was a really hot day in London and they had the air conditioning on, so that's why it's slightly muffled. It's still audible, it's just not quite as crisp as normal. That's all right. And also, if 
I sadly didn't have my recorder going at the time, but the first thing that Iris Sachs said to me when I went upstairs was, my country is falling apart. He does talk <laughs> about the heat. Well, he talks about the heat yeah. symbolising the end of the world. Yeah, so. this is because um, just before I'd got up there, he had looked up the Trump-Clinton polls <laughs> oh just before I'd got in the room. Um, and so that, uh, it was heated in both senses. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so uh, here's our interview with Iris Sachs. Enjoy. So we are delighted to be joined on the Curzon podcast with uh, Ira Sachs, director of Little Men. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to be here in London. Yeah, uh, it's pretty warm, um, but I imagine pretty similar to a New York summer as well. Yeah, New York is hot at this point. I'm hoping it doesn't symbol the symbolize the end of the world as we know it. So, but uh, it's 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 a nice day to be in London. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So I wanted to just uh, start by asking you about the title of the film. Um, initially, I was thinking of Little Women, right. and then I thought, why is it Little Men, not Young Men? Could you tell us just about where that came from? Yeah, well, the film is about two boys who become best friends as their parents become enemies, fighting over a small Brooklyn storefront. And to me, I wanted to talk about um, all the different moments in one's life where where you you come of age and that can be when you're 13 but it could also be for Greg Kinnear's character when you're 50. Um, it happens in unexpected times and I think all these characters are trying to figure out who they are going to be in a certain way and what's possible. I love the novel in general, um, uh, just the novel as a form so I think somehow Little, little Men sort of feeling like a title of a novel from, from the 19th century seems to me um, the kind of stories that I like that are stories about intimate everyday life but somehow seem monumental in action so um, there were those references as well you can see that in the film in that there are little moments that perhaps you wouldn't normally give much screen time to that you give actually a bit longer than you might expect I'm thinking of the drama teacher sequence yeah. um, with um, Tony and his teacher and so could you tell us about that scene because it just it keeps going yeah. you don't expect it to and there's a few moments like that in the film. yeah I think um, you know a lot of what you're trying to do in a film is is hold the suspense of the audience and keep them attached and but at the same time let the film have breath and let the film have air that scene is very important because it's a scene, um, these two boys both want to go to LaGuardia High School for Performing Arts, a prestigious art school um, for high school students in, in America, in New York. And um, I want you to believe that they're both good at what they want to do. So the scene, in a way, justifies uh, Tony's desire to be an actor. What also happened in that scene is that Michael Barbieri, who plays the character of Tony, is working with his real acting teacher, Mauricio Bustamante. Uh, Michael had started in, in the Lee Strasberg School studying acting when he was nine, and so these two, two people knew each other. So there's a certain freedom that I think is very enjoyable to watch. It's also you're really watching the birth of a, of a true movie actor with this kid, um, and I think it's exciting for the audience because suddenly he takes over the screen. Um, he, he, you know, his heroes are De Niro and Pacino, and I think in a way he's trying to be a little one there. Yeah, I, I, the relationship between the two kids is so natural, and I wanted to ask you about how you actually go about writing that. Um, how do you get into that headspace of a 
young teenage boy in the 21st century now? Yeah, well, I, I work with a great co-writer, Mauricio Zacharias, and I think we both um, try to try to recall um, how things sounded. A lot of it is about thinking of the right situations and the believable situations. You, you begin with a plot and then a sequence of scenes, and then ultimately the scenes need dialogue. And in each step, if you're, if you're closer to the truth, then, you, then that, that helps. So I think um, uh, ultimately, you know, 90% of this film is, is scripted, um, but it has the feeling of, of life maybe more um, authentically because 10% is, is the world of the kids. And, and that, some of that world I just, I just had needed to set up and let happen. So, for example, when the kids are out playing soccer or they're rollerblading and skating through New York City, my job was to observe that in a cinematic way and and let them be kids. Mm. And I rose into what I wanted to ask about whether or not you how much time you gave the core cast members together before you started the film to build up that family dynamic. Yeah, um, not so much. I mean, I I I don't rehearse my actors before I start shooting, and that's a strategy that has worked for me in in. in in my films to the extent that I'm really interested in capturing on the camera um, something that happens once and as soon as you start repeating things you become more theatrical you also start in rehearsals people tend to talk about subtext and what something really means and I never want those things to be verbalized because as soon as you verbalize them then you reduce them so for me the rehearsal process happens on the day of the shoot when I block the, the actors and I and I um you know, I, I, I work and craft the scene. I think in terms of that authenticity among them, it's a lot about casting. It's a lot about um, finding the right people and having a sense that they will have a chemistry together and then building a very authentic world for them to enter. So they don't have to do a lot of thinking. Okay. And I recently rewatched um, Love is Strange and I felt that there was a, a few bits in it that made it feel like Little Men is almost a spiritual sequel to the mm. film. There are elements that where that film ends, that this film almost begins. Um, and a lot of parallels I saw between the characters of Joey and Jake yeah. and also that running theme of the cost of property in New York. Uh, did you feel like you had to say more on those points and those characters? Yeah, I mean, I, I finished Love is Strange was about two men in their 60s and 70s or centers on those men. Um, I'd made another film called Keep the Lights On previously, which is about two men in their 20s, and I felt like there was a third film to make, a kind of trilogy, uh, that was the film about kids from the kids' perspective. That said, the real the similarity between Love is Strange and Little Men is that they're both films about uh, generations. Um, the kids are not in isolation. They have parents. The parents, um, their dramas are, are connected to who they are as the father or the mother of, of these children. So I think that comes from being a 50-year-old man with four-year-old children and and 75-year-old parents. I'm very aware that we're somehow all connected. When you're younger, you don't know that in the same way. And yeah. I think the film, both films are, are, are kind of involved with that recognition. Yes, I definitely was, it got me thinking about conflicts my parents would have been involved in that would have had a ginormous effect on my life without really myself being acutely aware of it at the time yes and I wonder if that was based on anything that you had had experience well it's interesting because as you're speaking I'm thinking it's the conflicts that the parents have that the kids aren't aware of 
and also the conflicts between societies and cultures and, and classes that you might not be aware of. So let's say your, your parents take a new job in a new city. There's many, many reasons that happens, but the impact on the child is something that you, you're, is unexpected. I think for me, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee in the 1960s and 70s. My best friend was an African-American kid in a, in a, in a, and we went to a school that was primarily white. We came from different backgrounds, but we were very, very intimate friends. And I think thinking about that difference and how children are able to cross that difference very naturally and um, fearlessly is something that I, that I want to preserve from my childhood. So actually, I wanted to just ask you about, I felt the film was quite economically shot in that there's, mm. it's mostly made up of quite a lot of wide shots and it's not very many close-ups yeah. in the film. And I just wanted to ask you about this. why you, was it just an economy of shooting? No, I mean, um, it, it, when you say economically shot, to me that means there's an aesthetic rigor. Um, I could have shot the film in any way that, that I chose to, but I was interested in each shot having a meaning and having purpose. And, and there's, a, there's something about this film that I think is, 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 is modernist in a certain way. It's unembellished. There's a simplicity of form and line, um, which I think if you get right can be very, very strong. But it takes a kind of rigor um, creatively that my cinematographer and I really wanted to bring to the images. I love the medium shot. It's really not the wide shot so much. It's really the medium shot. It's a film made of mediums. I also like middle portions of life. So the scenes are often the middle, the middle, and the middle, and the middle. And that makes you feel like you're in the flow of how people live. So it's all, it's all strategic, and yet I have no control. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Iris Sachs, it's a pleasure having you on the Curzon Podcast. Thanks so yeah, much. Yeah, so nice to be here. Okay, and that was Ira Sachs there talking to Jake. How was he? He was he was quite lovely. Quite lovely. <laughs> he seemed in high spirits considering... It was the end of the world. It was the end yeah. of the world, yeah. Yeah, the Antichrist is about to take over. Right, okay, so let's jump straight in um, with comparing this film to Love is Strange. That was Ira Sachs' previous film. Both of these films are set in New York. They're about gentrification and they're about family. Uh, what else could we say that how this is similar? Because I really see it as a follow-up. Yeah, it certainly is. And he mentions that in the interview yeah. as well. We do bring that up. Um, and you've got, any for anyone that doesn't hasn't seen Love is Strange, I won't spoil it, but there is stuff that happens at the end of that film that leads yeah. nicely into this. The characters of Joey in that film and Jake in this one. And the price of property is yeah. a real key link between the two. And It's the main plot of both of them, really. Mm. And I think it's similar to Love is Strange in the sense that Love is Strange is such a gentle film that follows through this period of these people's lives, and this is exactly the same. Nothing, hu well, I mean, I know that they're losing their properties and things, but nothing hugely dramatic happens in their personal, well, this is you know it. what I mean? It's like life's going to go on, is what yeah, I mean. It's I not like the end of anything. Both films are so undramatically told, yes. you almost feel like nothing has happened. Like they're so gentle to watch. But then you look back and analyse them and look at what happens in Love is Strange and you look at what happens in this film. There are pivotal, life-changing mm -hmm. events. But because Sax has such a deft hand, you don't. it's like you don't even notice. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what he says in the interview where um, he talks about it being a modernist film. And, you know, he doesn't... You talked earlier about how he doesn't use any close-ups. It's all wide shots. And that really limits its ability to be m melodramatic. Definitely. When you can't see someone's mm -hmm. face close up and you're not... So a close up is sometimes a sort of a signpost saying 
dramatic moment for this character yeah, or important like, for this character. Like the antithesis of something like Les Mis. Yeah. Where it's just like... <laughs> I like, mean, in so many ways. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like that film is made up of like over-emotional close-ups yeah. of crying yeah. and raw... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Boring music and strings. And this is so not that. Because it's so, like, a close-up is just an easy way to draw the audience's attention. Mm. And just say, this is the thing you need to be thinking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Um, it's Look at this qu- character's face. Look yeah. how they're feeling. Feel this yeah. way too. This film's the absolute opposite of that. It lets you kind of follow the journey in your own way and make those connections for yourself. Mm. Like, how do you think those two boys feel towards each other? It's never, like, hammered in, but you can read into it in loads of different ways. Mm. Mm. And the whole gentrification sort of catalyst, that's obviously there in both of these films and how... So for us, talking about gentrification, it's a t- just a topical issue, mm-hmm. whereas uh, Little Men and Love is Strange both show you how there's actually things happening within this 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 new phenomenon. Yeah, it's not just something you talk about; it's something that actually dramatically affects people. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think um, I didn't get the chance to ask him about it. I wanted to um, mention how the New York of these two films feels quite a bit different to the kind of post-sex in the city New York that we see in shows like Girls mm. or in the films of Noah Baumbach, where everything is is like this kind of jolly rustic feel to it like yeah, well, everyone's in a brownstone mm-hmm. and it's all very trendy yeah. and this feels very much not like that yeah New York's often seen as a giant university campus <laughs> yeah everyone, everyone lives in apartments with their friends and everything's you know th- th- often people don't have a lot of money but they st- that doesn't really matter <laughs> they still, still still manage <laughs> they still manage to look great and be yeah keep up with trends and go to the coffee houses and bars whereas this felt it de- it did feel like it was set in new york but also it felt like it could have been any city in the world that this was happening yeah i mean this was like it's predominantly set around just the sh- the shop yeah. front mm-hmm. that really could be any shop front there's no yeah. big sweeping shot like drone shots over, over Manhattan yeah. or you don't see the skyline you do see the Brooklyn Bridge in one moment yeah. oh, which yeah, was, was really nice. nicely yeah. placed mm. because it's just to show you yes this is New York this so I imagine there's a sort of feeling that New York is this magical city where your dreams mm-hmm. will come true but this film was showing you that actually New York's just a real place where real people live and the sh- it, I think it's where Jake is on his own mm. towards to, uh, getting towards the end of the film now and he's on his own on his rollerblades Oh, and I just in the background, those. you have the Brooklyn Bridge, which is just kind of a clash of the small child who's going through the things that every single small child goes through mm-hmm. in the magical city, which is a really nice combination of those two things going on there. Um, OK, so let's talk about the children, the little men of the title. 
Uh, I think these two are great. Oh, so yeah, incredible. So that's uh, Theo Taplitz as Jake and then Michael Barbier. <laughs> 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 I'm a little man as well. Uh, <laughs> And then Michael Barbieri as Tony. Uh, I think it's both of theirs, either their first films or very, very early in their mm. career. Loved them, particularly loved Tony. His voice was unbelievable. I loved it so much. Hey, so Jake, deep. how you doing? <laughs> He's such a New Yorker. He's, it was so great. Loved it. He just so, Actually, both of them are really endearing. You just like them as soon as they come on yeah. the show, I think. And their friendship's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, they're a mismatched couple. Yeah. yeah, I love it, and particularly Tony's voice. When you first meet him, you think, "Oh, like he's a proper kid that thinks he's a major hard man." <laughs> and then um, they're just sitting in the bedroom, and he just goes, "I want to be an actor." <laughs> like, I, I, there's nothing that has led me to believe that, that you want to be an actor, but now I completely believe. I can see it. It's yeah, all yeah. over you. Yeah. <laughs> there is that phenomenal scene as well with his uh, acting teacher. That's amazing. That you talk about in the interview that just yeah. goes on for ages. Drama as a as a member of the theatre, could you tell us about this drama exercise? Do you know what? Actually, I was watching this one with Sam, and when they're starting off and they say, okay, now be a tree, I was like, oh, Sam, this is my life. <laughs> and then I turned to you at the end of the, the shouting match, I was like, no, I've, I've never, never done, done that. that. <laughs> I don't know, so, actually. I think the, well, the rules are you just had to keep answering the question of the person that was That's, next yeah, to you. Yeah, you had to keep, you had to, rather than introduce a new question, you had to keep going. Right. What the, the, well, I think one person was in the leader and another person you had to follow and keep up with them. Right. That's what I got from it. were kind of vibing off the tones. Yeah. yeah. Is, wow, it's great. It's brought new things to my life. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it almost reminded me of, um, of Whiplash, of this, the kid and the older teacher just oh, yeah. going yeah. at each other. And I'm going, sad. And Why go- are you sad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the whole of Whiplash summed up in two, <laughs> two minutes of screaming. Why are you sad? <laughs> Um, that's amazing scene and I, we picked out in the interview that the way that the story is so tightly written that it allows you to get these amazing two minutes yeah. mm-hmm. of seemingly doesn't really add anything but you completely get him mm-hmm. as an actor like the, this kid wants to be an actor because he's, he's sold it to you it, just in that yeah. moment and that's that character sort of Some, done yeah. and then it, it leaves room for these little moments so I, I know there's quite a bit of footage of them skateboarding and or rollerblading mm-hmm. and scootering around or playing football, which seemingly doesn't add much. But the story is so tightly wound that you can't, he can get away with giving you those little character moments yeah. rather than moments constantly feeding you story. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's just the simplest way to show that their friendship's growing mm. without having a whole scene of, oh, we're friends now. Just show that they are hanging out outside yeah. with their families and, and just those so, two without their friends. Kids make friends like that. In, yeah. It doesn't matter if you're similar or you like the same stuff, yeah. but you're in the same area and it's like, hey, we both like to rollerblade and skateboard, so let's just do that. Mm. It's yeah. just so simple. Yeah, and that's something that's right at the end of Love is Strange as well. You have yeah, two young people skateboarding. skateboarding. Yeah, they almost these films almost transition into one, mm. one another. Uh, I think it's really important as well that their friendship and the kids as characters are sold to you so well because one of them most interesting things we talked about and you talked about the interview as well is that it's the whole film shows you things that are important to adults that aren't important to children and then vice versa Mm -hmm. and about how sometimes those two worlds are kind of lost in translation like it's so hard to explain to a child what you think is important and then it's so hard for a child to explain to an adult Mm -hmm. what's important to them and how did you think that was played out 
I think that was one of the things that had the biggest effect on me. Mm. I will say at this point that uh, my name is Jake, and when I was little, I enjoyed rollerblading, and my mum worked in mental health. So uh, there was a bit of a link between me and one of the main characters there that made it a bit re- quite relatable, um, and also made me think how life would be if I had Greg Kinnear as my dad. <laughs> What do you reckon, Jake? I think Greg would be all right. I like that Greg in this is quite flawed. He's not uber perfect indie dad. Well, even in Little Miss Sunshine, he is the character who you don't like for most Mm. of the film. Mm. So I think he's got this kind of uh, slight niche dug out for himself as kind of flawed but ultimately endearing father. Yeah. In terms of Greg Kinnear as a dad, I would like to bring up a trailer that has recently come out. Um, called, for a film called Same Kind of Different as Me starring Greg Kinnear and Rene Zellweger and John Voigt and it's a stunning trailer that looks like a parody for a film that would be made in 30 Rock <laughs> Does that make graphical sense? Same Kind of Different as Me I don't think it's the title of the film like, none of those words make sense together This film looks like a film made by a committee Yeah, <laughs> It's incredible it looks horrible. And then John Voigt's in there as racist grandpa. Yeah. yeah. This is where we Could, all get proved wrong, by the way, in this film. Yeah, we'll be talking baskets. about this in one year's time <laughs> yeah. in this room. So today with the Cousin Podcast, we're talking about same kind of different as me. <laughs> the film that has won every Oscar, <laughs> defeating Titanic from winning most Oscars in one go. But yeah, we yeah. should talk about Little Men. But Greg Kinnear's in that and watch the trailer because it's incredible. <laughs> Life-changing. Um... Yeah, Greg is very good. He's he's flawed but you know relatable, and as are all the characters really. I think that he's a really bad like actor in the play. I quite enjoyed that. Do you think that version of the seagull looked awful? <laughs> <laughs> looked so boring. Looked yeah. so boring. Yeah, I really was couldn't see him as an actor in this no. film at all. Oh, what like his, his character, right? And I know we said that about uh, Tony earlier on, that when you first meet him, you think there's no way this kid could possibly be an actor until you kind of gradually, you're, you know, built into it. But that never rung, that's, that never rung true for me, actually. Do you think maybe that's intentional? Uh, Maybe, it could be intentional, but it just, there was not one point where I was, I believed that this man would be an actor. I don't know, it could be intentional, just kind of trying to sell you that he's... I kind of believe you. I believe the mum's role as the. Oh, absolutely! Because yeah. yeah, she's always try- she even says to um, Lenora, like Lenora later on, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a family counsellor. I'm I'm good to help in these matters. I can be helpful. And then she, I was like, yeah, she, that's fine. It's just Greg Kinnear as an actor, just not not at no, any point sure. did that. Uh, I mean, he was very good and everything. I and can almost more imagine him as an as a drama teacher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which may have been made a bit more sense as someone. I think it did. They kind of said that he wasn't really in work. Yeah, he wasn't a successful actor. actor. It just that it's just that character wanting to be an actor just didn't quite. Yeah, didn't quite work for me. But the the character did. It's just that that choice to have him be an actor. I didn't fully understand. Okay, that's interesting. And I guess it's there to be paralleled with Tony. Oh yes, basically. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but just didn't quite do it for me. And also, I suppose the fact that he's kind of a struggling actor feeds into the fact that they need higher rent from. yeah well for, at one point I was thinking maybe it's even a slight jealousy thing that Tony not that Tony's a successful actor but Tony is it's kind of hinted that Tony is quite good yeah, oh yeah definitely at acting mm-hmm. and there's maybe a slight jealousy thing between um, Brian and Tony yeah I think like something that for some reason crops up on our show quite a lot is the idea of 
uh, adults talking to children like they are adults. Yeah. And if someone asks, if a child asks a serious question, you give them a serious yeah. answer. And I think this film really shows you that, that these the parents almost try and hide what is going on and yeah. don't talk to their kids seriously about it. And that results in the kids doing something very childlike and going having a silence pact. Yeah. All the silent treatment. That's, yeah. that's frustrating, isn't it? That's mm. hard to watch. Yeah. I don't know how they managed to do it for so long. I didn't think I could do it for half an hour. You definitely yeah. couldn't do it. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> The only time that I talk is for this podcast. I just spend the, <laughs> I spend the w- rest of the week in silence. In a dark room. Yeah. My whole life is one big dark room. Um, okay, so how uh, true to life did you think the film is? Because I think Iris Sachs was really going for something real, naturalistic. Do you think he's managed to do that? Yeah, completely. I've, uh, everything in the film, as with Love is Strange, I feel it's completely believable. Yeah. I think maybe in some way there's like, Saxatown, like there is Appertown. Uh, everyone, everyone in Appertown, uh, for Judd Appertown's films, yeah. has a certain. They're all really... exceedingly wealthy, inexplicably. Yeah, and I don't think everyone in here in Little Men or Love of Strange is exceedingly wealthy. But I mean, I mean in Appertown. Oh, in yeah. Appertown, yeah. But They're everyone all... here has problems that not a lot of people will relate yeah. to. But I think it's it's it knows that as well Mm. and it's drawing to the attention to the little dramas that do make up everyone's lives and that the events that occur in this they could the same kind of events could occur to people with a lot less money and a lot more money Mm -hmm. and that's what makes it quite relatable that the drama in it could happen to anyone and I like as well that you're not necessarily painting out as either side as right or wrong in this. You can he's not going, Oh, isn't gentrification horrible? Look at these horrible people that yeah. are kicking people out of their like livelihoods or whatever. Actually you kinda of see where the family's coming from. She can't pay the same rent for eight years. Like that's not normal. But you also, you know, she's gonna lose her business. I, I quite like that yeah, it doesn't very good point. Yeah. doesn't make you go, They're the baddies. Yeah, it's very two both two sided. Uh, mm. What's the name of the um, the guy in the wheelchair in It's a Wonderful Life? Potter? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah Potter's Veil. Oh, yes, he could have been yes. like him. He could have been, ah, exactly. now that I've inherited my nice father's building, I'm going to turn it in. Yeah, yeah, but to be fair, Pottersville looks way cooler. <laughs> like, if you actually watch It's a Wonderful Life, Pottersville looks wicked. <laughs> what, what, more cool than what um, the other guy's building? Well, I mean, you can remember Pottersville, can't you? You can't even remember the name of the other one, can you? <laughs> no, just the other guy. Pottersville's got all neon lights. It's got, <laughs> it's got everything. That's where I want to live. <laughs> yeah, maybe Little Men needed a potter to get Yeah, to... <laughs> inject some drama into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he could have been that kind of caricatured, mm-hmm. nasty landlord. But he was just doing what made sense to him. Mm-hmm. and his. I mean, his sister is slightly... Yeah, she's a bit more evil. Slightly more... Because it makes you think she's actually got money and she just wants more. Yeah. I could have maybe done without the sister. Yeah. Mm. And just have him, because then what you have is that he's almost, not forced, but heavily persuaded into Mm -hmm. raising the rent. Well, I think the idea is when someone gives up their possessions after they die, it's not straightforward, Mm -hmm. really. If you do have a sibling and you inherit a property, it's a, actually figuring out what you do with that is a real tough thing to do. I think she just had a lot of over, a lot of influence over everything, considering how little she's in it. Yeah. And maybe it would have been nicer just to keep it between the two, mm-hmm. t- the two parents. Uh, yeah, the parents. But um, still, you know, 
I think it is really naturalistic, this film, really mm-hmm. true to life. You mentioned earlier the sort of scenes of skateboarding and rollerblading. For me, they were, there was a few too many of those, but it did the job. It sold you that this is casual life for these people. Yeah. Um, and worked. great run time. One hour 25. Hour 25. Love it. Love it. Yeah, perfect. Um, so uh, anything to add before we talk about the sort of spoilery moments of the film? Um, no, not hugely. I just think um, do it in a double bill with Love is Strange. Yes. Yeah. Go from Love yeah. is Strange right into this. Yeah. That'd be perfect. Plus that double bill is less than three hours. Excellent. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, see the film and then come back just for this last few minutes. Yeah. The film doesn't really have a conclusive ending, which I like. Yeah. Because like we've said before, it's like a slice life of just life goes and on. life yeah. doesn't have an ending. Yeah. Yeah. I, the quote from Boyhood, I think, sums up the ending for me. I expected more. Yeah. Not in the terms of how I thought about it, just because I think that for a while I was hoping that because they essentially they're not friends anymore, Tony mm-hmm. and Jake, because sad. of what happens with their parents, and then you see them in an art gallery at the end, and Jake sees Tony from across the room, and I was I thought I thought oh Tony's going to turn around see him. There's kind of a they share a look, and then the film will end. Mm-hmm. Tony never turns around, never sees Jake. Yeah, and for a while I was like, oh, just a bit disappointed. I kind of wanted a bit more closure there, just like one more look. But then, well, I mean, we, people, we always want people not more. being able to turn around and look me in the eye is something that Jake has experienced a lot. <laughs> 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 no, that's like the ending is something that I really liked about it because yeah. I think it is it stays true to its realistic, think, yeah. unmelodramatic mm-hmm. moments. In Sometimes that, in life, people don't turn around, and then you kind of you're you're too scared or too sort of overthink it to run and chase after them and talk to them and then they just got they'd gone mm-hmm. forever I think that's more real than if he did turn around yeah and I don't I think, think either Jake who sees Tony he's not bitter or angry about that no. and it's like he's looking at him and like that's Tony's path now and it is it's nice that Tony introduces Jake to the idea of going to art school mm. and then Tony himself ends up not going and Jake does and I think that's one of the things that the film really highlights is how these fleeting relationships we have as a child. Like, if you think back, and like there were summers where there was one person that was yeah. just your best yeah. friend, but that was just for six weeks or something. Yeah, and, and then you may not see them anymore. Yeah, they go to a different secondary yeah. school or something, mm-hmm. and that never really happens again. But they would have had a profound effect on the f- your own future. Yeah. And I think that's what the film highlights in the relationship between Tony and Jake, that he has really shaped whatever Jake's life is now. I mean, choosing to go to a kind of niche art school over your regular secondary school, yeah, that's a huge decision. Yeah. Right, we're going to have to wrap up there, but I think we all felt this film really well made, very naturalistic, couple of tweaks for me, couple of slight... Um, well, I kept, I like you said, I kind of kept accept, expecting something else to happen, but I think that's because I've been that's really the point, maybe, the train, yeah. and so I'm like after some big drama. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Uh, Love is Strange is on Curzon Home Cinema it certainly is and then this Little Men will be out there as of uh, this Friday when this podcast is released so you can do uh, the double bill uh, right from the comfort of your own home big thank you to CSR for letting us use their studio once again Uh, and we will be back next week for Uh, we'll be back next week for I think Free State of Jones excellent so uh, we'll see you that's goodbye from Jenna goodbye goodbye from Jake bye and goodbye from me see you next week (laughs) 